All right, let's get our Bibles tonight and be turning to the Psalms tonight. And um, we're going to be in the 123rd Psalm. I was just reading that hymn story when I was up in Fargo, More Love to Thee, and the lady that wrote that and the circumstances when she wrote it, time of great sorrow in her life, lost two children, um, not at the same time, but fairly close to each other, just a time of great darkness in her life, and, and the Lord gave her those words to that song. What she really felt like she needed was just more love for the Lord, and um, it's amazing how often um, messages, powerful messages and song come through heartache and tragedy and disappointment, things of that nature. And um, so her, her loss provided an avenue, an opportunity for us to be able to sing a song that's very meaningful. Psalm 123. Let's stand. If you're able to stand together, it's a long psalm. We're going to read the whole thing. Hope you're ready. Unto thee... Lift I up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. For we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those that are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. So the psalmist really brings out of what I think was a very common thing in their culture and that is uh, people having servants, having slaves. And, and he wrote about something that um, he was very familiar with, something that we're not all that familiar with, thankfully. And, you know, God never uh, condones slavery, but it was a part of the culture. It was a part of the culture in Bible times. It was a part of the culture or the world even before that. But he, but he said here in verse 2, the, as the eyes of servants look under the hand of their masters and as the eyes of a maiden under the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy upon us. So we're going to look at this passage together and uh, let's pray as we begin. Father, once again, we trust you tonight, God, as we study your word, that you would use your word to encourage us, to instruct us. Lord, to edify us, Lord, to just enlighten us about your ways and about our role. We pray for that. Father, we, we come with just a thankfulness, Lord, for the very word of God that's before us that we can read and understand it. And we pray tonight that you would have our undivided attention. We want to we actually do what we read in this text about. We want our eyes uh, to be upon you, and we trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
as I was praying and thinking about the blessing of having a Bible, I was thinking about the post that I saw today and then reposted about William Tyndale's. Um, today was the day he was, uh, he was 42 years old, burned at the stake. And the, the sin, the crime he had committed was, was uh, taking the Bible and translating it into the English language. That's a horrible crime, isn't it? And the reason it was a crime was because the Catholic religion did not want the common people to read the Bible. They wanted to control the narrative, control the Bible. And so you say, well, surely they wouldn't, they wouldn't kill him for translating the Bible. That's exactly why they killed him. And uh, so I'm glad we have a Bible in our language, aren't you? So let's just look at this psalm. And there's really four parts of this psalm that I want to look at. And a part of my, a part of my um, thing I want to emphasize tonight is just the fact that how the psalmist saw God's children as being servants in the same way that he saw slaves being a servant to their master. So, but he, he begins in verse 1 with talking about his, his focus. He said, unto thee... Lift I up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. So in the first two verses, he mentions eyes four times. He says, verse 1, I lift up mine eyes. Verse 2, as the eyes of servants. Verse 2, as the eyes of a maiden. And verse 2, so our eyes. So you can see this emphasis is on what he was looking at. His eyes, his eyes would be directed to the Lord. And that's not a physical look. You know, when he says in the Bible, there, unto thee lift I up mine eyes, he's not just talking about I'm going to look up upward. I'm going to look up to heaven. It's not a, a physical look, it's a spiritual look. I'm going to look to the Lord. It's a look of faith. And, um, you know, reading that makes me think of uh, many passages in the scripture, but I'm thinking right now of Hebrews 11, where it said this about Abraham and Sarah. He said, they not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. They didn't see them physically, but by faith they saw them. And that's the same kind of thing that the psalmist is talking about. In that same chapter, in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, it says this about Moses, as seeing him who is invisible. And so as I read this psalm, and I think about what the psalmist is saying, he's saying, by faith, I'm looking to God. I'm not just, it's not a physical look, it's a spiritual look. I'm, I'm looking to God. Paul wrote this to the Corinthians, the same kind of sentiment to the Corinthians when he says, we look not, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. We look at what you cannot see. We look not at the things that are seen, but the things which are unseen, for the things that are seen are temporal. They're temporary. I can see these chairs, I see this building, all this is temporary. I see this microphone. So we don't look at the things just that can be seen because those are temporary. We look at the things that are unseen. You say, how do you look at something that cannot be seen? You do it by faith. And so that's what the psalmist is saying about his focus. He says, I lift up mine eyes and that's where my focus is. And I think that's good advice because... I've really been thinking about this a lot lately. But, um, you know, we can find ourselves looking so much at things which can be seen that we're not really looking much at the things which cannot be 
seen. And uh, we need to keep our eyes on the Lord and not just keep our eyes on circumstances. Now, when he says here in this passage in verse 1, unto thee lift I up mine eyes, that's a decision he makes. It's intentional. I'm, I'm going to quit looking so much at what I can see, and I'm going to spend more time looking at what I cannot see. And that's good advice for every one of us. And one of the things that's crushing, um, I think, people's um, spiritual walk and their, their emotional health in this whole COVID thing is we spend so much time looking at things we can see and not enough time looking at things that we cannot see. So it was an intentional look. It's not natural to do that. It's not natural. If you go through your day, it is not natural. It's not human nature for us to look at things we cannot see. That's the promises of God. That's, that's the providence, the plan of God, what God might be doing. It's not natural to do that. What's natural to do is look at circumstances and look at people and look at problems and look at difficulties and all these kinds of things. So where should our eyes be? I went to my phone because I had my, my, thought my phone may not be off, but it is. So I have great peace in my heart now. Now that I looked at something that I can see. Just flip the page to the left. You'll see a similar uh, song. Just look at a verse or two at the very first. Psalm 121. Maybe it's not a page to the left. It is in my Bible. Here the psalmist says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. Now again, you know, he's not looking just at a physical mountain. He's not looking... Uh, at, at the landscape, he's looking up. He's looking, he's looking to the place beyond him, knowing that God is really the source of his help. And so that, back to Psalm 123, the first thing we see here is his focus. He's focusing on the Lord. And so let's just, let's just think about that personally and where our eyes should be. I mean, what are we looking at? Are we looking at problems? Are we looking at difficulties? You know, people, you cannot hardly get in anywhere. I just experienced this on a trip to Fargo and being around people we hadn't been around a long time. No matter who or where you are, who you're around, it's just like so much of the conversation is dominated by COVID. It's dominated by the vaccine. It's dominated about masks. It's dominated about mandates. All these things, and people are so consumed with those things that they're not really looking to the Lord. I'm not saying everybody, but the tendency is to do that. I like this uh, statement. It's not original with me, but it's worth repeating. You know, we ought to be gazing at the Lord and glancing at our problems. But what we do a lot of times is we're gazing at our problems and we're glancing at the Lord. And this, this look of the psalmist here in verse we're in Psalm 123. It's not just a, a casual glance. Uh, look in verse 2. It says, Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden under the hand of her mistress. Now notice this. So our eyes wait upon the Lord our God. This is not just a glance. We're looking at God until, it says in verse 2, He have mercy upon us. We're going to keep our eyes on Him until He comes through for us. That's, a real, that's really a good, positive way to think about this. 
And so we have to think about our focus. It's a good reminder for me tonight. Maybe not for you. It's a good reminder for me tonight because we have the responsibility. Nobody can do that for me. We have the responsibility to maintain the right focus. That's why it's good to start your day off with the Lord. Start your day off with His Word. Start your day off thinking about spiritual things because it's easy to lose your concentration. It's easy not to have our attention on the right thing. Where is your attention focused? You can even be in church. You can be having your Bible open and reading your Bible at home or trying to pray and, and be so easily distracted. It happens. It happens. And I, I would just want to put a plug in for making sure you carve out a little time in every day, at least a little time, to read the Bible and talk to God and get the right perspective. And I don't, if you're, if you're old enough, and I'm looking around and everybody's listening carefully, if you're old enough to follow me and know what I'm saying, you're old enough to do what I'm talking about. You're old enough to read your Bible. And I'm not saying there's, there's not other things in, the, in your world that you do, schools going on, you have studies, those things. But I'll tell you, it's, it's really important to be focused. And I, I would, we've just been hearing a lot, uh, if you listen to the news at all, a lot of testimony before Congress in the last couple of days about the danger of social media, what it's doing to young people. And parents, we need to take this seriously. I mean, we can't afford to let the world system educate our children. And so it's the, you know, we can, we can look at the news. It's not wrong to know what's going on in the world, but we need to have our focus on the Lord and on spiritual things. And again, you just think about how much time, how much conversation, how much attention is given to all these things going on in our culture and how little time is really given to focusing on the Lord and God's goodness. So we, the first thing we see, and that'll, I'll spend most of my time on that one more than these others, but we see his focus. But the second thing I want to notice is really, and I'll quickly mention it, and that is his problem. That's his affliction, and it's found in verses 3 and 4. And it's not a, this is not a minor problem. This is a serious problem for the psalmist. He says in verse 3, Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. And here's the problem. Here's the trial he's in. For we are exceedingly filled with contempt. He's talking about the pressure from the outside, criticism, uh, whatever, rejection. Verse 4 takes it a step further. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorning of those that are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. He says, I'm, I'm my, to God, he says, my soul is just saturated with this, these bad reports, these negative, critical, I want to say despicable. They despised him. That's what contempt means. Criticism, persecution, verbal assault, and it was weighing him down so much that he needed the Lord's Help, And so this is, this is a serious time for the, for the psalmist. You notice it doesn't tell us the name who wrote this psalm, but it's not, not that important. But whatever, whoever it was, he was in a serious trial, a serious time of trouble. And by the way, that's what motivated him to get his eyes on the Lord 
And by the way, that's a good thing, isn't it? If, if we have trials, financial trials, physical problems, uh, family problems, and, and somehow those things get us focused on the Lord, then they're not, there's some redemptive value in them. And our afflictions can have the same effect on us. They can cause us to get our eyes back on the Lord where it belongs. And that's really where our attention belongs. And so the psalmist is asking God for mercy. And that's the third thing I want to mention, and that's his request. He says in the last part of verse 2, until that he have mercy upon me. Verse 3, he verbalizes this prayer. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Most of us have been in a similar situation. We may not have called it contempt, but we know what it's like to be overwhelmed, overcome with adversity, with problems, with difficulties, especially when it doesn't seem like it's getting any better and he's praying for mercy. God have mercy. He needed for God to do something in his soul. And so, so there's the problem and there's his request. And then let's go to verse 2 and let's really look at what I believe he uses as an example of how we wait on the Lord, how we, how we are supposed to be looking to the Lord. And here, let's read it again, verse 2. As, Behold, as the eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God. So he's liking, he's, he's uh, comparing, he's, he's using this as an object lesson, as an illustration that uh, his attention to the Lord is compared to or likened to a servant looking to their master. And it kind of goes in with this emphasis we've had in the last few weeks upon being servants, the eyes of servants. That's what he talked about. So the servant is looking to the hand of the masters. Now what does he mean when he says in verse 2, a servant? What does the word servant mean? Uh, the word there, the Hebrew word that's translated as servant, is used over 800 times in the Old Testament. That's a lot, 800 times. And just so you know, you can verify this, study a little bit on it if you want to, but... Um, the very same word that's used for slaves, and, and by the way, slavery is throughout the Old Testament. The, the Jewish people were given instructions about, about having servants, and the word there is talking about a, a servant, a slave. The very same word that's used for a servant of a master, the same word is used for a servant of the Lord. The, God didn't use two different words to describe them. They're describing the same thing. And I think that's why the psalmist falls upon this and includes this. So the same word they would use for a, a slave. Like you remember in Exodus where it talks about that after a period of time, seven years I think it is, after a period of time, then uh, you have to release your servant and let him go. And he's free to go. And uh, if, he, if he came with a spouse, he takes her with him. If he came without a spouse and... He gets a spouse and gets married. He's free to go, but the spouse or children would stay with the master. All these instructions, these are just instructions, and this very same word is used 
for that. So, so, it said, so the psalmist says, as the eyes of servants look unto the master. And then he says in verse 2, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God. You just see he's making this comparison. Our eyes wait upon the Lord just like a servant waits upon his master. Our eyes by faith are looking to the Lord just like a slave would be looking to his master. And then he used the female version of this in verse 2 when he says the eyes of a maiden. And a maiden is a female slave, a bondwoman. As the eyes of a maiden under the hand of her mistress. So the same way if there's a if there's a lady in the house, if there's a woman in the house of the wife of the homeowner and they have and they have servants, and what is the job of that servant? It's to wait on the handmaid. It's to wait, it's to wait on her mistress. It's to wait on the woman of the house. What is the job of the servant? The male servant is to wait on the Lord. That's his job. That's what he does. Now, again, this is not... Get out of your head how bad slavery is. This is not a racist thought. It's not condemning slavery. It's just telling us this is how it's supposed to be. And so let's just imagine that there was someone in the room tonight here, and they just really had a heart for God, and they said, how can I, how can I look to the Lord? How am I supposed to be a servant to the Lord? And God says, here's how you know. Here's how you can compare it. This is an illustration you can see. You look to the Lord just like a servant would look to his master. You look to the Lord, ladies, just like a, a bondwoman would look, a, a maiden they would look to the hand of the mistress. And, and what do they do? They're waiting on them. You know, um, remember we used this uh, Sunday in the message where Jesus talked about who's greater the person that's sitting at the table getting ready to eat or the person who's bringing the food who's the more important and the natural person would say well the person that's sitting and waiting to get something to eat why because the waiter's job is to wait on them and Jesus said I am as unto you not as the one sitting at the table but as the one that's doing the waiting I'm being a servant I'm being an example he said of a servant so what is the job of a servant? Young person, what is the job of a servant? Don't have to answer it out loud, but answer it in your own mind. And this is what I would, the way I would answer that. The, the, the job of a servant is to wait on their master. That's their job. It's not to, the, you know, the servant, I, I, can, I, I can easily, you know, look at this hypothetically. If I was a servant in the days of slavery and I lived in the house and the master provides me with a place to sleep and he provides me with a place of food to eat and those kind of things he takes care of me when I'm sick and what is my job my job is to always be attentive to whatever he wants me to do right that's right now people most people didn't um they didn't just get up one day and say, you know, I think I would like to be a servant. <laughs> they don't do that. They were born into that. But back to the illustration in Exodus, this is what God said to that slave. 
if the day comes when, I should have looked this up, I'd be brush up on it, but he said, if the day comes when your servant says you're free to go, and you say, I don't want to go. I love my master, and I love my family, and I want to continue to serve. I'm going to choose not to be free. I'm going to choose to be a servant. Then let him go, and they're going to bore a hole through his earlobe, and, and that'll be a sign that he belongs. He here's what he said. It, it's a sign that he will be his servant forever. See, that's what we are. We're God's servants. It's not, it's common. It may seem acceptable, but it's not right that we would go through our days without saying to our master, Lord, what do you want me to do? What, what do you want me to do today? We just fill our schedule with stuff and ask God to bless it sometimes. You know what I'm saying? That's just the way it works sometimes. So, so we're just, this passage is telling us about, about something that was really on the heart of the psalmist. He's, he's burdened down. He needs God to help him. He's, he's focused his eyes not on his circumstances, not on his feelings, not on his problems, but he's focusing his eyes on the Lord and he's going to keep waiting on the Lord until the Lord gives him the mercy that he needs. That's a great lesson in and of itself. But, but embedded in that is this lesson about servants waiting on their master to see what they need. My wife and I were at a, um, a real nice restaurant the other day traveling back from Fargo. It was a, a Burger King. No, it wasn't. It was better than that. It was Wendy's. <laughs> And we're at this restaurant, and, and this fine lady comes up and asks us, would you like anything to drink? And uh, we both ordered what we always order, water. I said, we're boring. <laughs> we ordered water and waited on our water. And, and, um, and then she comes back and wants to know if we'd like some bread to eat. So she brought us some nice bread and got her, took our order and, and got her food. And I'm guessing, my wife's down in the nursery, she could verify this, but I'm guessing six, seven times, um, six or seven times she came by while we're eating, just stopped by and said, you guys still doing okay? You need anything? You know what that, that's what a waiter does. That's what a servant does. Is there anything I can do? And in the New Testament, the word, we talked about this Sunday, in the New Testament, the word Sunday, not diaconio, that's, that's exactly what that is, a table waiter. It's someone who waits on tables. And by the way, if you're looking for a job, I mean, if you're a good waitress or waiter, you can make good money. And she, you know what she was working on? Two things. She was working on, really three things. She was working on making sure we didn't need anything. Number two, she's working on a tip. Because she knows the better service she gives, the better tip she gets. But number three, she's, she also probably knows if I go too many times, it's going to backfire on me. So it's, it's kind of a delicate tightrope to walk. But she did a great job. She was, she was, she was always available. And, and you know what? That's what God is looking for in his children. 
That's what God is looking for. That's what we're supposed to be. I'm not writing anything into this. The psalmist said, As the eyes of a servant look unto his master, and as the eyes of a maiden looks under her mistress, so our eyes, Lord, are waiting on you. Just like that. And ask yourself today, I mean, was there... Were there times in your today, in, there, in your schedule today, in your life today, were there times when you consciously, deliberately, by faith, looked to the Lord and said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What would you have me to do? And I, I submit to you tonight, if we go through days and days and days where we're not doing that, we're missing the mark. What God wants for us. We're His servants. I don't think that means we just lock into some lifestyle and because it's comfortable, we just stay there. What if God wants us to, what if God wants to lead us to a particular passage of Scripture to study? What if God wants us to go to a particular person and talk to that person about the Lord or give out a gospel track or maybe? He wants us to go home a different route than we normally do because he might have someone over there for us to talk to. And and the reality is sometimes we don't even ask him, Lord, what do you want me to do? So it kind of leads me to this question, really who is the master? Is he the master? Or are we our own master? You know what I'm saying? I don't need to be running my life. I learned many years ago what that could do for you. It wasn't pleasant. And I'm not saying I don't get dependent on myself sometimes and fail to look to the Lord like I should. I do. I'm preaching to myself just as well as I'm preaching to you. But I'm just saying, you, if you're running, if you're making all your decisions and you're, you're just doing what comes natural to you and you're not even asking the Lord, what do you want me to do? You might be missing out on something. Matter of fact, we are missing out on something. We're God's servants. We look under the hand of the Lord, just like they look under the hand of their master. What does that mean? It means they're attentive to their master. Now, I have a different, you know, different things that occupy a lot of my time than than you do. But, for instance, I just... I've said this before in preaching. My wife knows it's true. Earlier in my years, I just did not like to sleep. I didn't, if, I, if I didn't sleep much, I'd be up studying. I liked it. You know, to me, sleep was like a necessary evil. But not anymore. I like to sleep now because I feel like I need it more. But sometimes, and this happened a couple of times recently, I'll just wake up and have some scripture on my mind. And I just love just to get up. And my wife said to me a couple of days ago, how do you do that? How do you just get up? And two or three in the morning, you're just awake reading and studying. I said, well, I'm awake. So if you're awake, it makes it a lot easier. But the point is, God ought to be able to nudge us and prompt us and lead us and show us some things he wants us to do. Maybe the Lord wants us to give in a certain way. Maybe, you know... I wonder how many people go through weeks and weeks and weeks 
and never even give out a gospel tract, never witness to a person, never think maybe I should show up for visitation and go out and knock on some doors that just never enters their mind. Well, maybe God would want that to enter our mind. He's the master. We're not the master. We're just his servants. And, and Justin brought a tremendous lesson some weeks ago about Apollos. And in that passage there in 1 Corinthians, Paul said, who is Apollos and who is Cephas and who am I? He says, we're just servants. That's all we are. We're servants. And yet people sit in church and never even live like servants. Never think like servants. Now I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been mean to that girl at the restaurant the other day, but if she, if she would have acted like she didn't care what I wanted or what I needed or what we needed, I'm not going to be a bully or anything. My wife might be, but I'm not going to be that. <laughs> and I'm not putting her down. That's her job. She likes her job. She's a servant. At that moment, she's a servant. Now, when we walk out of the store... She's not a servant anymore, at least not my servant. But if she didn't show some interest in what I was interested in or what I needed, she's not doing her job. Are y'all with me tonight? If you and I never look up to God and say, God, you're the master and I'm your servant, what, what do you want me to do? Have you ever tried to talk to a child, I'm talking about like a preschool child, and you're trying to get their attention, you're saying, hey, 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 and they're busy, and they, you, it's like they know, you know they should be able to hear, I mean, I'm almost deaf and I can hear, but you know what, they're not paying attention, they're just running around doing what they want to do, doesn't matter how, late, how loud you get, it doesn't change anything, listen to me now, sometimes we're that way with God, I'm thinking, we just got our own agenda. We're running around doing what we want to do. And God's probably trying to say, hey, you, you're my servant. Remember? Remember, you're my servant. We don't even hear him. You know why? Because we're just doing our own thing. So he uses, so we see this, to me, a big part of the lesson in Psalm 123 is his focus. I've got to keep my eyes on the Lord. And we see his problem and his request, he was, he's just being saturated with, with criticism and uh, contempt, scorning, he said. But, he, but the way he describes it, to me it's like an example. This is what we're like. Our eyes, our eyes are to the Lord. Our, we're attentive to him. Lord, do you need any more water? Is there something else I could get you? What does he want from us? If I were to give us out a piece of, and this would be a good exercise, if I were to give out a little piece of paper tonight and say, just, just think for, let's just put on our thinking caps and let's just, let's just write out some things we think the master would want from us. What does the master want from us? What would God want from me? We ask him stuff. Lord, would you help me? 
Would you help me win my soccer game? Would you help me, would you help me get, make a goal? Nothing wrong with those kind of things. Lord, would you, would you help my green beans in the spring? Would you help them to really make? There's nothing wrong with those kind of prayers. But how about saying, Lord, what do you want? What do you want? You know what he wants? He wants to reach people with the gospel. That's something he wants. That's something he wants. If, if we're not about that, we're missing something. Lord, what, what, are you, what would you want? We belong to him. We're, you know, I think, and I think there's a sense, and when you, when you look at this passage, and I'm not going to go back over this, but he says they're, they, they're, his eyes are on the hand of the master. Because, you know why? Because the hand represents provision. He's looking, he's looking for the Lord to provide for him the mercy he needs at a time of great need. And, and we look to him also for provision and protection. But our submission to God, our submission to God, our availability to God, our attention to God should be as focused as a servant is to their master. Whose servant are we? We're servants of God. The very same language in verse 2, just like the eyes of a servant look to the hand of their masters, our eyes, our eyes, not looking to a physical master, our eyes are upon the Lord. We lift up our eyes. Our eyes are looking to God. And you say, how do you... How do you do that? How do you, how do you start doing that? Number one, we have to see that it's right. It's biblical. It's God's plan. It's God's plan. It's what Jesus did when he said in John chapter 4, I must needs go by Samaria. Anybody who knows anything about the Hebrew culture knows that when you're traveling from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north, or Galilee in the north to Judea in the south, there's a country, a region, not a country, but a region between that called Samaria. It's where the Samaritans live. And there's, there's um, prejudice, we could call it, ill feelings. And so Jews don't go that way. But Jesus said, I must needs go by Samaria. And why was that? Because there was a, a woman there at the well who needed a taste of living water. That's why in Acts chapter 8, Philip left a great miraculous revival in Samaria. Great preaching, great response. People were believing because he felt inclined, he felt led, he, was, he, he knew he was supposed to go to a desert place. Why, why leave a great citywide revival to go to a desert place? Gaza. Because there was a man who had been from the northern part of the African continent, Ethiopia, up in Jerusalem worshiping. He's on his way home. 
riding in a chariot. And as, and as Philip sees him, the Lord said, go join yourself to that chariot. And he did. And by all, imagine this. He found this man from Africa with a scroll and he's reading it. And he just happens to be reading from Isaiah chapter 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes were healed. And, and Philip said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, Sure. I went to Cornerstone. I read good. No. He said, How can I except some man should guide me? What am I saying? You know what Philip was? He was a servant of the Lord. You say, man, I'd like to have that happen in my life sometime. I'd like to see it happen in all of our lives more often. But if it's going to happen, we've got to look to our master and be his servants. So what, how do you start off? Maybe you just ought to start off tonight by saying, Lord, I just want to be your servant. I'm going to have to get used to this. If it's not what we're accustomed to, we have to get used to it. And in the morning, let's just say, Lord, today I've, I've, got, I've got a job to do. I'm going to my job or I've got these, these plans on my calendar. But Lord, as I go through the day, I just want to let you know that I'm your servant. And whatever, if you're something particular you want me to know or do, then I, I want to be receptive to that. I want to be open to that. I want to, I want to be in discerning about that so there's my there's your homework tonight let's do it tonight and say Lord I want to be your servant he may just want you to go next door to your neighbor and take him some chocolate chip cookies and and just tell him you know just want to tell you You've been a good neighbor and also let you know, you know, if you don't have a place to go to church, we'd like for you to come visit with us sometimes. You could do that, right? He may want you to do that. He may want whatever he wants you to do.